Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by our guest speaker be a blessing to your life and helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. All right, without waiting anymore, guys, please come on up and we're ready to hear from you. Please welcome the Rios, um, Christine, and Antonio, right? All right, thank you so much. Oh, you guys, what a privilege and an honor um, to be here this morning. Uh, So refreshing to just feel the presence of the Lord so strongly. Uh, I'm I'm just still trying to like soak it all in and uh, thank you, Tim. Like, wow. Um, it, it just goes to show, you know, on our itineration, we get to go to so many churches and we see all sizes of different choirs and worship teams. And it really does not matter. It's, it's the heart and, and who ushers you into the presence of the Lord. And it's been so amazing, this experience. And um, without further ado, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but this is my husband, Antonio. <laughs> And I just really, I'm, I'm so grateful. That worship was uh, amazing. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. Um, and we are missionary associates to the Polynesian Islands. We are hoping to be in Fiji um, by September 2022, but uh, Fiji has suffered two cyclones plus the pandemic. So we've been told that they may not extend the invitation for us to be there so we will be in somewhere in polynesia um but we're praying that by the time we're ready to go that the lord opens that door because that is where he wants us to be um with us my my son david rios will also be joining us on this trip we will be there for two years and he will be a maps volunteer he is 18 years old we have two boys Um, Our oldest is 25 also. Um, He will be staying here in the States. But um, about two years ago, the Lord started to stir. No, it was actually three. Three years ago, the Lord started to stir in our hearts um, and and put that mission burden upon us. And um, my husband just said one day, babe, let's, you know, do a mission, a, a vision board. And I was like, vision, My, I have no vision right now. <laughs> um, I knew the Lord wanted something, but I was almost afraid to ask. That's the honest truth. I was like, Lord, whatever it is, you better put it in his heart first, because I'm always the one with the crazy ideas. So you need to do this with him because this one is not coming from me. And, and he did that. And, um, you know, part of, instead of doing a a vision board, he did a list, and the very last thing on that list was to go to Fiji, and everything else we had talked about, we've been together for 31 years, um, married 21, and you'll hear more about that story in a bit, um, and so I said, wait a minute. I said, we've talked about so many, all these other things. I said, but Fiji, where is Fiji? And why did it make the list? Like, we always said we were going to Hawaii. I always wanted to go to Hawaii. I never wanted to go to Fiji. So you need to scratch that off. And I was a little upset that it was on there. I'm like, no. <laughs> so he didn't scratch it off. But that was just the beginning of the Lord introducing us 
to that country and where he was leading us to go. Um, do you want to say anything? Yeah, yeah why, not? Why, not, why not say something? Well, <laughs> since it was my idea, right? No, not really. But yeah, um, we wanted to go to Fiji. I had that on my list, but I, I didn't know why I wanted to go. I knew it was like a beautiful place to visit. So I said, babe, I said, if I want to visit a, the most beautiful place, it has to be Fiji, right? I can't make it to Hawaii. I can't make it to all these other places in the world. I said, but if I could go see one place before I die, I'm not rich. I'm a teacher. I'm not going to go, you know, worldwide travels. I said, why not go to just one place, scratch that off. All right, nothing else compares. I don't need to go anywhere else. Well, I put that on the list, but then the Lord started stirring it in my heart and in her heart to go on missions. We were attending New Jersey District School of Ministry, which we graduated last year. And um, thank you. And, uh, and that was the beginning of the calling. It was through DSOM that we were called. Um, so we visited and we, we fell in love with the place. You know, we were like, we, we got in touch with uh, Brian Webb, the, our area director. Uh, we kind of met him. And uh, he said, you know, go down there, scout the land out, see what's going on. Um, and if the Lord is calling you over there, visit different churches, different sites. So we went. And uh, during like an excursion we had went through, we went to like a zip lining course. Um, I started sharing my testimony to the to the young guys there, a, a group of young men who were when we got there they were laying on the floor they were sleeping and we're like, are you even open? Like everyone's sleeping here. What's going on? Oh no, yeah, well, they got up and they're like, oh yeah, we're working. So we did the zip lining and I'm sharing my 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 testimony of how God transformed my life from um, drinking alcohol. Uh, and a drug addict. I used to do cocaine, and I, w- I was enslaved in bondage, and um, pretty much I was possessed so bad that I threw myself off of a four-story building, okay? Um, but because she didn't run out on me, and, and her prayers and her mom's prayers, everyone got together and praying. Um, I, I, after I, I, I hit the ground and you know, I broke my femur bone and I, I shattered my lean. I had to learn how to walk again. But uh, three days later, that possession was gone, and I, I asked her to marry me on the wheelchair. Of the, I said, babe, I miss you. You need to come here now. So she came to the hospital, and, and I said, where you been? And she says, I've been here every day. I said, I, well, get on my lap. I wheeled her to the, wheel, on, uh, to the window. I asked her to marry me, and I said, I want to serve the Lord from this moment on. And we've been serving God for 21 straight years. To God be the glory. So I shared that testimony to, the, to those young men. And at the end, when we were leaving, this real big guy, the, the elder of the group, his name was Moses. He came running to the car. This guy was huge. And with tears in his eyes, he began to tell me that he had stopped going to church and that I had reminded him about God and that he was going to Sunday service that very next Sunday. So that would kind of like solidified our calling there and um, the rest is history. You're, and I'm gonna pass it back to my wife because she's a better speaker than I am. But thank you so much for having us here. We love you guys. Thank you for your prayers. You have an awesome ministry wall, uh, missions wall back there. You don't see many churches like that. We've been to a lot of churches. They don't have a wall like that. That's amazing. And I thank you guys for supporting each and every one of those missionaries out there. We love you guys. Thank you so much. Keep on praying for us. We're going to have prayer cards in the back. Okay, so you have any information. We have a lot of ton of information for anyone who, is in, who wants to go on missions. The need is there in 
every part of the world. So thank you for sending us out. God bless you guys. So um, today I'm going to share my version of our testimony because usually my husband shares and I've never really um, shared it. So this is the first time I'm sharing with you and I just felt like um, since we've gotten here, every song, every even the verse of the day that you have on your bulletin, I was like, wow, Lord, okay, today was the day that I needed to share this. Um, so I want to start by reading something that I, and this is pretty much why I decided to um, do this today, because I was going through my journal, which I journal in my phone on my notes app, and I started reading an old note that I wrote about three, four years ago. And um, it was a little poem that I, one morning after spending time with the Lord, I just started to write this. And it's entitled, I Met a Man. I met a man 18 years ago. This man was like no other I've met before. His love was instantly felt and his protection was like a shield. I wondered if this was even a reality. He was truly unique and one of a kind. No other man had satisfied my every need. I worried if he would leave me, if he would really be by my side, like he said, because of all of my insecurities. Would I push him away? I didn't have any special skills or qualities. Why would he choose me? I truly didn't deserve his love. He wasn't asking me for anything in return. He just really enjoyed spending time with me. There were times when being quiet was just what I needed and times when I couldn't stop talking and he was always patient. He loved everyone around me and over time as our relationship grew, he asked me to follow him. I was so scared. What if I left everything behind for this man and He did and and disappointed him. What if I embarrassed him? What would my family think of me for following him and leaving everything behind to follow him? My heart was torn, but he was patient. He never forced me and he was willing to wait. One day he asked me if I trusted him and I replied, yes, of course. You have always been there by my side. You have always accepted me just as I am. So he said, then follow me. But I asked him where, and he replied, the details of the journey aren't important. I just want you to follow me. So as terrified as I was, I didn't want to be anywhere without him, so I chose to go. And it has been the best journey yet. We have so many adventures together. Some have been rough, but most have been amazing. I have learned so many new things, and I'm not the same person I was when we first met. I am more confident and secure because he has always kept his promises. I don't worry about being perfect or about knowing everything. He encourages me every day. He even wrote a book about his many life adventures. Some are quite scary, but show his strength, and some are so interesting they keep me reading more. I learned so much about him by reading his book, and our relationship grew more intimately. Because I began to understand that this man only spoke truth. He doesn't lie. So when he told me 
I was beautiful, I began to believe it. When he told me I was smart, I knew that I was. When he told me that I was strong, I felt brave enough to accept it. When he told me he loved me unconditionally, I knew it. We continued our journey every day, not knowing the twists and turns it would take, but I trusted him with all my heart and my life. I share this story because he loves you too and wants you to come along on a journey. You just have to trust him and allow him to lead. Who is this man I talk to you about, you ask? His name is Jesus. He is a king, a selfless king, a warrior, but gentle lover of souls. He sacrificed and left his throne to come for you and me. He has won every battle so we can come to his kingdom one day. And the only requirement is that you accept him as the king of your life and follow him. Reading his book every day, whether a little or a lot, will help you to learn more about him. It's all about trust, though, if you are willing just to say yes, and he'll take you along on your own journey. I hope you choose to join me. It was the best decision of my life. And as I read that, I was reminded, I said, man, I didn't even know that just a couple years later, he was going to be asking me to follow him even further. So the other side of the world, who would have thought? And when he did, I wish I would have read this when he was first calling, because we, we ran. I mean, I felt like Jonah sometimes, where I was just like, no, this is just too crazy, Lord. Like, why? We're involved in ministry. We've been at our church. We've done, you know, uh, young adult ministers. And we, I was a, a children's minister. I mean, you know, a woman's director. And so I'm like, there's need here. Why are you choosing to send me to a small little dot in the Pacific? Because <laughs> that's what it was. And the beauty, you know, when I Googled where was Fiji and I saw it, I was just like, I mean... I never even wanted to live in Puerto Rico, and I'm Puerto Rican. So I'm like, what in the world? Like, Lord, you know that I never wanted to be there. Why over here? And so um, it was a lot of questioning, a lot of crying, a lot of back and forth with the Lord. And um, when we went on that trip, it's funny because, you know, my husband says, oh, the beautifulest place in the world. And when you Google, oh, it is beautiful. And when we arrive there, the very next day, I'm like, take me to the beach. I need to go see the water. And the closest beach was about 15, 20 minutes away. And we get there, and the water's black. It was worse than the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and I said, um, Lord, this is not what I saw. This is, what is going on? The sand was hard and it was not appealing and I didn't even want I didn't even put my toe in the water because I was just like uh uh I was like now you're messing with me Lord <laughs> but what happened there was um as we spent time there and as we spied the land the Lord did a heart transplant I never understood how a missionary could leave everything behind, their family, their friends, and go to a place where you can't identify with the people until it happened to me. It's something that the Lord does to your heart to remind you of his heart. 
And I fell in love with these people, and I felt like I belonged there. And I said, Lord, what is going on? Why don't I want to leave? We were there for two weeks, and at the end, we were so sad that we were leaving. And I was like, wow, it, it's definitely something that you do on the inside for, for you to just, I can't wait to be back. <laughs> um, but, you know, reading this poem that I wrote um, reminded me of that call, and he's constantly reminding me that following him is the best decision that we could ever make and that his timing is perfect. And there are a lot of missionaries right now that are on the field and they're seeing a lot of suffering. Um, they don't have resources like we have. Um, and we sort of take advantage of that. And so even with everything that is going on here, they're on the front line, so just Thank you for praying for your missionaries. Um, they really need prayers. <clears throat> Sorry. So I'm just going to share a little bit of my story. At the tender age of 11 years old, um, I was at a youth service at church, and the pastor felt the need. I wasn't even supposed to be there because it was a youth service, and I was 11, and I was probably almost falling asleep in the back of the pew when he decided to pray over all of the children, no matter the age. And so, you know, going up and not really knowing what was going on and, you know, all right, he wants us up there. They probably were like, go, go, go. And so, you know, I go up to the front and had an encounter with the Lord that I had never had before. I didn't really understand what happened. Um, I just knew that I met the Lord there that day, and I spoke in tongues. It was a baptism like never before. Um, but the only thing was, was that everyone cheered, and it was a great experience for the church, but there was never follow-up. Um, so, of course, as a child, you have that experience, and then... That's it, and you don't think about it. You don't really ask questions like what just happened. Um, but I know that I was marked. And so that was at 11, and about 12 or 13, um, I got a little rebellious, and I didn't want to go to church anymore. And I gave my mother a hard time. I gave her such a hard time um, that we just eventually stopped going to church. And um, it didn't stop my mom from praying. A uh, single mom, I saw her praying fervently. I saw a strong woman who, you know, the enemy could not mess with. And a lot of times um, things happened in the house where my mom would say, let's go, we're going to pray right now. And we would kneel by her. And she was just a prayer warrior, slaying all kinds of demons and dragons in the spirit. And... Um, but at the age of 13, I met my husband. And I was introduced to him by my older sister. And she was married to his uncle. And I mean, yeah, married to his uncle. 
And um, she brought me around one day, and the minute I saw him, it was like a still small voice did tell me, today you met your husband. And so for me it was instant, and I still didn't understand that that was the still small voice of the Lord, but I accepted it. Okay. In my head I said, I don't have to look anymore. There he is. I found him. All I had to do was convince him of that. And so he was 17, so he was older, and he wasn't looking at me, but I was mesmerized. And so I told my sister, so she just continued to bring me around. And so finally, maybe a couple months in, he was, oh, okay, she's kind of cute. And so, you know, we started talking or whatever. I didn't really know um, the history of his family. I didn't... Um, my sister was in the family, so I didn't think twice, even though my older sister's kind of crazy. Um, but, you know, okay, this is a great guy, great catch. And so we began dating. And there were times where I think about the age of 15, I started to drink with him and my sister and my brother-in-law. Um, and... We just had fun, but I thought that's all it was. For me, it was just we were drinking and having a good time, teenagers. Uh, but every now and then, he would change, and he would get angry. And as a kid, you know, he's my first boyfriend, whatever. I saw that, but I just thought, man, when you drink, you get really evil. Because um, I always had the fear of the Lord because of that experience. Um. But it got real. I graduated high school, and we had, I got pregnant at 19, and we had to move in together. My mom gave us like six months. She was like, okay, you made your bed, you lay in it, and now he has to provide. And um, we had to mature quickly. And so we moved in together, and that is when layers began to be revealed and so um through mutual friends i found out that my husband was doing coke behind my back i found out that you know he would do coke with his family members with his father um his brother introduced him to drugs at the age of 13. um and so i was like wow i never knew this and being raised in the church being raised in a single parent home with a mom who never drank, who never, you know, who, who showed us right. And now I'm living, you know, I always wanted to marry him, but once I got pregnant, my rebelliousness was like, well, now if we get married, people are going to say, oh, you just got married because you're pregnant. And I didn't want any of that. So I was like, we're not getting married. <laughs> um, and so I find out that now he's doing drugs, he's drinking, he's, you know, we're living together, I'm pregnant, he still thinks he's a bachelor, he's leaving the house, you know, his friends would call him at midnight and he thought it would be okay to just get up and go. And it really took a toll on me because I'm thinking, I don't want to raise this child this way. And... So I, I did think about going back to church, and we had the conversation, 
And when the baby was born, we actually went back to church, but none of us were willing to commit. We went, checked in, and left. It was like, okay, we went to church. Things will get better. And they didn't. They got worse. And so here I am now with a newborn baby and with a man who's not committed and I'm getting angry and now I'm doing things to get him angry. Well, if you go out on a Friday after I've been home playing wife and taking care of the baby and cooking and cleaning and going to school, I would get dolled up on a Friday, payday, and wait, because I'm like, oh, today we're going to go out as a family. And he would not show up. And so that anger and that bitterness became revenge. And I started to go out. I started to drink. Um, it got really bad to the point where when I was almost finished with school, I was already planning to be a single mom. I remember our Saturday morning theme song growing up was I Will Survive. And so that came back and I was like, you know what? I'm strong, I will survive, we're better off without him, I have a couple more months, I'm gonna graduate college, I'm gonna become an accountant, and we're gonna have enough money and I'm gonna give this child the best life that I can give him. Because I had something to prove. I was a disappointment to my mom. Um, my sisters didn't graduate high school. I was the first one who did. So, you know, it was a win for me for that one because I graduated. And I was the only one, the first one, going to college. Except I only did a month, a, a semester of college before I got pregnant. And I had all these magazines that I was going to get married in this beautiful dress from home. And so my mom had, you know, a child that was going to do the right thing, finally. She graduated high school, she's in college, she's planning a wedding, and then, boom, I messed up. So now I'm finding out all these things about my baby daddy, and I'm like, my mom can't know this, and when I'm on my own, I have to somehow make it up. So I have to graduate, have a great degree, and be able to show like, all right, that didn't work out, but look, I'm a success. And that's a lot of pressure, you know, um, at that age. But he didn't know anything about that. But anyway, one day he comes home and he is like, babe, there's something wrong. I don't feel right. And I was so angry that I wished his death. You know what? You had a bad hit. Go, go somewhere and die. I don't care. That's how hard my heart was towards him. And I didn't know what was going on, but that's what I thought it was. He went to the hospital. They said he was dehydrated. Okay, fine. The rest of the week, I did, there was something going on with him. He was searching for truth, and he, you know, he was visiting a, a friend's mom who was Christian and asking questions, and, and I'm like, dude, like... I don't want Jesus. Jesus was not on the list, you know, because now I'm living my best life, right? I'm clubbing, I'm drinking, I'm planning my exit. Now you want Jesus? We tried that, bud. 
it ain't going to work. You know, I'm thinking that's his strategy. Like, you want Jesus so that you can come back and be like, oh, babe. No, it's not going to work. And, I mean, there were people in school that would come to me, and even they saw how angry I was, and they would preach to me and say, you know, Jesus. And I'm like, listen, when I'm 65 and I can't move anymore, and I'm like, 65 is not old. When I was younger, I thought 65 was, you're all brittle. I'm like, man, grandma's like 89 years old and she's still independent. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. But when you're young, you think 65, you're done. <laughs> so, so I would always say, when I'm 65, I'm not going to be, you know, and I can't club no more. I'll ask for forgiveness, clean slate, then I'll serve the Lord. And thank you, Lord, for not killing me on the spot. Because many times he could have just lightning bolt and it would have been over because I just had this mouth and and so now he's seeking and one day he says babe let's go for a ride and I'm like no I don't even want to get in the car with you but for the baby's sake all right fine let's go for this ride so we go in the car um by this time I am 20 and you know so from 19 to 23 it was just hell in my home and we go for this ride and he pulls into this small we call it a storefront church bodega church so it was like maybe 30 40 people in this church they're wearing skirt down to here, turtlenecks, their hair's back. I'm like, I am not going in there. Wrong church. Um, and he's like, come on, let's go in here. And I'm like, I'm not going in there. And I'm wearing jeans and sneakers. Are you kidding me? I know these type of people. I grew up with them. Uh-uh. He was, he was born and raised Catholic. So he didn't know. I knew. I'm like, that I'm, this is all wrong. So I stayed in the car, but he went upstairs and sent the deacons to come and get me. Now I'm sitting in the car and I see these people coming and I'm, th- I'm like, oh, how embarrassing. So I go to like tie my sneaker, like, yeah, I was right behind him. Like, what is he talking about? I'm just tying my shoe. Like, so I get out the car, get the baby out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I cannot believe this guy just did this. So we walk in, we sit there, the pastor's preaching up a storm, and he has an altar call. And he even mentioned jeans in his preaching, which I was like, you, you know what? You know, I was so, I was so upset. Because I'm like, you're preaching at me, like, really? Okay, whatever, I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell, it's fine. And he's going on, you know, now he has the altar call, and in my head, yeah, we're the only two in this church that need Jesus. And he's going on and on. And I'm like, I'm not going up there. Like, cut it. Let us go. Pray. Let us out. And he didn't. And he kept on. And he, and so this one starts to, come on, babe, let's go up. Come on, babe. And I'm like, get off of me. Like, you want you, you go. And we're doing this. I'm doing this in the pew. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Everyone can see us because I know they were waiting for us to go up. And so again, out of embarrassment, I'm like, fine, let's get this over with. I'm going to go up so they can let us go home. So we go up, and the whole time I'm like, I don't want to go up there. Like, I can't believe this. 
And then I'm like, all right, you know, so I just stand there and the pastor starts to say, repeat this prayer. I started to repeat the prayer and the Lord just cut me up. I was a total mess. I'm like, I can't say this and not like I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was saying and I couldn't say those words in vain. So again, the Lord is so relentless in his pursuit of us, kicking and screaming and being a brat. He was still waiting for me at the altar. And I was like, I, I didn't understand what was happening at that moment, but I know that it was a God moment. And I said, okay, Lord, I surrender. You win. Here we go again. Now, now restart. Now, this better be real because that's it. <laughs> And so we leave that church and I go, all right, babe, this is it. Now, this church was open Monday through Sunday, every day. And so I was like, all right, this guy needs to be in church every day so we can make it to Sunday. Because then on Sunday, I was like, we'll just go to the church that I grew up in. But I couldn't leave any gaps in between because I needed to make sure he was for real. So I'm like, we're going to continue coming to this church and on Sunday we'll go to my church. Okay, fine. So we did that on Friday. They had a prayer vigil. So we left my son at my sister-in-law's house and we go to the prayer vigil and it was till three o'clock in the morning. But when we get there again, he starts to run in and out of the church service. And I'm like, so the second time he ran out, I said, you know what? I'm going to go after him. And yet the Lord said, be still, just stay and pray. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to stay here. And I would pray, and the deacons would go out after him and bring him back. And so during the service, you know, he wound up going to the altar, came back, and a lot going on. Um, but I sensed that he was afraid. They had a skit where, you know, it was like a left-behind skit, except in this skit, they actually had a church goer left behind. And so she gets left behind and, you know, she calls the pastor and, you know, she finds out that she's left behind. So that threw him for a loop because he's like, wait a minute, she went to church. How did she get left behind? And I'm like, babe, shh. And I'm like, yeah, glory, you know. And I'm enjoying this because I saw this growing up. He never did. So now he's like, what in the world, like, I thought this was the answer. We're in church, so I can still be left behind, even though I'm here. And I'm like, we'll talk later. And so we end the service, and we get to the car, and it was a march, and it was slicing cold that day. I'll never forget the cold. And our, our door locks were frozen shut. We could not get in our car. Everyone else was getting in their cars and driving off, and we can't get in. And so now he starts to yell, like, look, they don't care. They're just leaving us. How are we going to get home? And I'm like, hey, calm down. Like, embarrassing. It was more embarrassment than anything else, but I'm like, relax. We'll, we'll figure it out. But somebody came and helped us out. Finally, the doors opened. We get in the car. But now, at that time, he's like, let's go pick up the baby. And I'm like, no, I don't think, you know, we should. I, it's late. It's going to be 4 o'clock in the morning. 
leave the baby where he is, we'll come get him in the morning. He was very adamant. No, I want him home, I want him home. Okay, fine. We went to my sister-in-law's house and my sister-in-law's bed was here. She had a chihuahua and the window was here. So we get to the house, we're banging on the window, we're ringing the doorbell, the dog never barked, she never came out. And so after 15 minutes, I said, babe, let's just go home. Like, I'm cold, forget it. At that moment, I didn't think anything. It was later on that that was very important, that detail of the dog not barking because the dog always barked, and she was always up. So we get home, and when we get home, he tells me he wants to read the Bible. Now, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. We've been in church since 7.30. I'm churched out. I'm like, Jesus, I need to go to sleep. We're good. But he just needed more. And so I said, listen, if that's what you want, you stay downstairs. I'm going to bed. So I go to bed. At that time, we had like something, satellite radio. And so I put it on Christian music and I lay down. A little while later, he comes up and he gets in bed and he's like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, Christian music. He's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, of course it is. So I show him and he's like, oh. So he lays down and I don't know how much time passed, but a little while later, he's behind me. I'm facing this way. I hear a voice that says, I'm going to tear you apart bit by bit. But it was a raspy voice. I'm gonna, you know? And I'm like, okay, what was that? So I turn around to look at him, and his eyes are blacked out. And I turn around, and I'm like, Jesus, help me. And he gets up, and he leaves the room. And my first instinct was, get out. I grab my pants, I put one leg on, and the Lord said, you stay here and you fight. And I'm telling you, I keep telling you that the Lord was telling me things. It was a feeling in my heart. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was so clear. And I always say the Lord knew what was going to happen on that Friday, and that is why he had to get me to the altar on that, on that Sunday or Monday, I think it was a Monday night, because of what I was about to face. And so I go, okay, Lord, like, I can't do this without you. And now I'm, I've only been in church for a week. I don't know how to fight, you know. All of my church experience was here and there, but nothing solid. And so I'm like, what does he mean fight? But before we left that church, a woman came up to me and gave me a piece of paper. And so now I go in my jeans to look for that paper and I open it up and there's a phone number. And so I call the number and it was the pastor's number and I call and I go, hey, I need prayer. And they're like, we're still praying for you. We have been waiting for you to call. And so they knew what was going on, but I didn't. And so I tell him, babe, Look, the pastor just called. Here goes the phone, because I'm thinking he can do a better job than me. And he comes up to the room, and he yanks that phone out the wall, and now I have no lifeline. And so the battle began, and it was back and forth. And he, I remember at one point, I had the Bible in my hand, 
and <laughs> it's kind of funny, but he says, if that's the, he, he was telling me that it was the book of death. That's the book of death. That's the book of lies. And I'm like, this is the book of life and of truth. And he says, then show me the Ten Commandments. <laughs> what? Oh my God. Like, where are the Ten Commandments? I'm like, Jesus, help me. And I'm looking. I'm like, I don't know where the Ten Commandments are. But I'm like, hey, I know Psalm 23. So I go to Psalm 23 and I start reading Psalm 23. And he grabs the book and he throws it. And I'm like, okay. But one thing that I did notice was that the accuser was very present because he looked at me and he would say, I know who you are. And the Lord gave me the discernment to say, no, you knew who I was. I am a new creation in Christ and I am no longer that person. And the commitment that I made was very real. And so you have no grip on me. And it would, it's, if, if you've never experienced it, it was very weird because there would be times where it was him and I knew and I would say, babe, you know, you have to fight. And then there were times where I had to talk to it. And I had to be very careful because I didn't want to ever accuse him of something that he had no power of or over. And there were a couple of times where he would go to the bathroom and he would drink water like this. And I was like, what is going on? But every time he would feel a little weakness, there was a time he was on, on the wall and I'm praying for him and he slid down like just like slid down and and he was on the floor and I laid my hands on him and I would start to pray and rebuke and then he would jump up and run to get water and I'm like what in the world like how am I supposed to do this and at one point uh he came into the room and the Lord was showing me that he was very present because he came into the room and he grabbed me and he said he was gonna throw me out the window And he gripped my arms, and he was pulling with all his might. And I remember having my eyes closed because I'm like, that's it. It's over. Like, I'm going to be with Jesus tonight. And after a while of hearing him grunting and, and trying to pull and me not moving, I opened my eyes, and I'm looking at my feet, and I'm looking at him like, is this really happening? Because I was immovable. I'm like... Lord, this is only you because he could pull me anytime with one arm and I would have just flung like a rag doll, but he couldn't move me. And so I knew that the Holy Spirit was with me. I knew that I was empowered. I knew that he had, he, he couldn't hurt me unless the Lord allowed it to happen. Another time he had his, his uh, hand on my throat and he told me that he was going to kill me. And I looked at him and I said, well, today I will be in eternity with my father. And it's okay. I am okay with dying today. And he said, what is happening to you? What is happening to you? And I said, that is the power of the Holy Spirit that is upon me. And I spoke with authority and he jumped off and he ran. And so even though I was afraid, I knew that the only person that could help me in that time 
of hopelessness of feeling like, Lord, I can't believe that I am in this situation. And the things that I was seeing were like, this is really real. There is a devil. And God is very real. And so I get a little angry when people try to say, oh, there is no God or there is no hell. I'm like, oh, you didn't live what I lived through. And so after all that happened, that went on for a couple hours. And then daybreak happened and he finally came to me with tears in his eyes and said, I need to leave. If I stay here, something may happen to you. And I reminded him that he was okay in the house. I said, we can fight here, but if you leave, I can't help you. Now you're in his realm. And I don't know if he understood it or not. And a lot of what you know I share, he doesn't remember. Um, but he, he was afraid of what could happen. And so he left the house and I stood there and all I could do is continue to pray. And so uh, a while later, uh, some cops came to the door and they knocked and they said, hey, do you know an Antonio Rios? And my heart dropped and I said, yes, I do. And they're like, is anyone else in this house? I said, no. Are you okay? Yes, I am. Uh, were you fighting? No, we were not. And he goes, I'm like, where is he? And he's like, all right, he's in the hospital. I said, is he okay? He's, he's going to be okay, but we needed to come and let you know and make sure you were okay. Okay. What I didn't know that he went to my sister-in-law's house to try to get my son, and my son hid behind my sister-in-law and didn't want to leave with his daddy. And so even my son knew there was something not right with daddy. And because of the, his reaction, um, my brother-in-law showed up, because now I'm there with no car, no phone, and I'm, what do I do? And my brother-in-law shows up, and I'm like, he goes, are you okay? You know, and he tells me what happened at the house. And I'm like, all right, we have to go right now. He's in the hospital. So I'm trying to tell him what happened throughout the night. I'm like, listen, when you go there, I was like, I grew up, you know, in the church. And they used to say, if they, you show fear that those things can jump from one person to another. So I'm like, listen, this is real. And I need you to be brave. And he's like, okay, you know. So we get to the hospital, and he's sitting on the bed. They have him in a white we jacket in a padded and room. By this week's and he's message. sitting on if you the bed like in the center. And he's assembly, rocking back and forth with his legs crossed, assembly, Indian style rocking. And his head was down. And the, the minute we get to the window, he looks up. Check out My brother-in-law had one glance assembly. at him or and go said, to our oh, website no, at I, I don't be And I said, okay, relax. Look forward in hearing from Let's, you know, it's Join fine. I don't want you here if you can't be here. But he wanted to go get his sister. And so I asked him to borrow the phone. I call my mom and I go, mom, I need you to get to the hospital. She's like, what happened? I explained to her. She's like, why didn't you call me? I would have been praying right away. She believed me. And I was like, all right, well, just... I need you here now because I had to leave the hospital to go get my sister-in-law. So she's on her way. I leave with my brother-in-law. And on the way, 
Well, before he wound up in the hospital, what happened is, is that he was, first he tried to impale himself on a metal fence. There was a metal fence that he had seen as he was running. He saw a building and he was trying to get up to the top of the building, but he couldn't find an open door. So the next best thing was a, a steel gate and he tried like three times to impale himself, but it didn't impale him because they were too close together. Had they been separate, he would have been successful. So when that didn't happen, the cop, he sees the cop car coming, so he ran into the street and he dove headfirst into the top, into the cop car. So the cop was able to get out, apprehend him, and take him to the hospital. Um, I go to pick up my sister-in-law, we get back, and I'm telling my sister-in-law what's going on, and she has the Virgin Mary and the big white family holy Bible, and she's gathering her tools, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, it's fine, just help her, you know? And we're, you know, she's got, she has all this stuff, you know, we're heading out, because I'm like, hey, at least she believes that there's something going on. And when we get to the hospital, my mom is outside sobbing like she couldn't even talk. It was one of those cries that I said, I never want to see my mom cry like that ever. But I knew something happened. And I said, Mom, what happened? You know, what happened? And she couldn't speak. And I'm like, you got to tell me what happened. And she's like, he escaped. He left. And the only thing I could think of at that moment, it was like my life flashed before my eyes. And I dropped to my knees in that parking lot. And I said, Lord, I was never his wife. And me and my son don't share the same last name. How does it end like this? And I was like, but if it's your will, I just need to see him one more time, dead or alive. Just let me see him one more time because I had a lot of regrets. And uh, at that moment, I remember seeing a mob of doctors and nurses coming. There was a park by the, by the hospital and they're coming out and it looked like it was slow motion, and they're walking towards us, and they say, you need to get to University Hospital right now. We don't think he's going to make the night. And I said, okay, that's fine. My prayer was answered. And so we get in the car, and we go to that hospital. It was a trauma center, and he was in surgery for hours, and I hadn't slept, and my mom says, you, you, you need to rest. And again, the Lord was so faithful, and he said, he's going to be okay. And I said, and at that moment, I looked at my mom, and I said, okay. And I crashed on her lap. And hours later, when they came out of surgery, I already had that confidence that he was going to be okay, but I didn't know exactly what that meant. He could have been paralyzed. He could have been brain dead. Who knows? 
So the doctors come out and they bring us over and they explain all of his injuries and they say, you know, he broke his femur bone, he fractured his heels and his toes. And I'm like, okay, what about, you know, his, his lungs? What about his brain? And they're like, no, everything's okay. And I'm like, okay. And we go and I'm, I'm fine. But even that night after surgery, he tried to get up and go again. So when they went out to get him, what happened was he pulled my mom out. He asked the nurses to, to put my mother, to let her into the room. And they allowed her to go in. The minute they opened the door, he pulled her in, locked the door, and ran out. The doctors tried to hold him and they grabbed onto his jacket. He ran out of the hospital naked, found the, a fire escape, jumped up, and in his eyes, that was the only way out. If he jumped, he would be with Jesus. And so he just said, Lord, if you're real, then catch me. And jumped. And it took three days of prayer and fasting to get this thing to let go. But I think about it now and where we are now, and it's for such a time as this that we are able to share our story with others and give hope to those that are angry, to those that are hopeless, to those that are bitter, that think there's no way out, that think that Drugs and alcohol is the only way. And there's a lot of hurting people in Fiji right now. They're allowing the people to dip into their retirement funds just to survive. And they're turning to drugs and alcohol. And I know the damage that that can do. But I also know that there is a God that is so faithful and that can pull you out of what seems like a situation that is so hopeless that makes you feel like you are not worth anything and that death would be better than life. And so I feel like the Lord called us during a pandemic for a reason. Because I even question that. Lord, why now? There's so much going on in this world. Why would you call us to do this now? But it is now. There's a hurting world. With everything that is going on politically. And health-wise. And socialized. You know, everything. There, we're living in end times. And he is mobilizing us. This is the hour for us to go out and do what he is asking us to do. And my only plea for you today is to speak up. Go to your family members that aren't serving the Lord and let them know what he's done in your life. You have a story to share and they need to hear it. They need to know who you serve. And that's what I want to leave you with today. I thank you for your time. I thank you for the invitation. 
But most of all, we covet your prayers because we don't know what we'll be facing when we go. But I know that he has prepared us to go and not everyone can, but we can all play a role. So thank you, church. Thank you so much. God bless you. Love you all. And I'm going to call her right up. God is so good. Can my brother come up? Stay up here. We're going to pray over you guys. Guys, reach out a hand. We thank you, Lord God, that you are real and that you are alive. And that you never, Lord God, stop working, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, for how you moved mightily, Lord Jesus, and our brother and our sister. Lord, you brought them through a terrible ordeal, Lord Jesus. But Lord God, you were preparing them for such a time as this, Lord. Everything that we go through, Lord Jesus, it's for a purpose. Lord God, because your plan is always bigger, Lord. Your plan, Lord, is always the right one for us, Lord Jesus. And as we heard from our sister and our brother, Lord God, even when we kick and scream and fight, Lord Jesus, and try to turn, Lord God, our own way, you still, Lord God, love us. And you're still there waiting for us, Lord Jesus, just to come back to you, Lord God to come back, to line up with your purpose, with your plan, Lord Jesus, for our life. So I pray, Lord God, a special blessing over my sister and brother today. I pray, Lord God, that you would just continue to fill them, Lord God, with all that you have for their lives, Lord. I pray, God, that they would just feel your presence, Lord, surround them, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, your protection over them, Lord, as they prepare, Lord, and continue to go to different churches and share, Lord, their testimony of what what you've already done and what you're going to continue to do in them, Lord God, and through them and with them, Lord God through um, your work, Lord Jesus, that you've done, Lord Jesus, through them. I thank you, God, for just who you are, Lord. I thank you, God, that even though the enemy is real, Lord Jesus, you, Lord God, have victory. You've already won the victory over the enemy, Lord Jesus. And you just want your people to realize that and believe that, Lord God, and to seek after you, Lord Jesus, and your truth and your hope, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless them, help them. May they feel your love, Lord God. May they know, Lord Jesus, that even in the valley you are there, Lord Jesus. So thank you, God, for everything, everything, Lord God, that you um, have done and want to continue to do through them. We, I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them, bring in all that they need, Lord God, so that um, this area will be open to them, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that that open door will be there when the time comes, Lord God. We know, Lord Jesus, that there's hurting people all over this world, and they need to hear your good news, Lord Jesus. And you're preparing your people, as we heard today, Lord Jesus. So I pray, God, that you would just um, 
speak into those uh, those government officials there, Lord God, when that time is right for this couple to go, Lord God, that everything will just fall into place because we know that you are over it, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to the good report, Lord Jesus, from my brother and sister of, of how you are getting there. Um, getting them there and um, how you're going to work through them while they're there, Lord Jesus, and the great testimonies that they're going to be bringing back when they come to see us again, Lord Jesus. So thank you. We praise you. We love you. And all things we give you honor and glory because as we said in our worship time, you deserve it all, Lord God. So we praise you and we love you. We give the rest of this day over to you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.